everybody uh thanks again for joining me today for another episode of the nhs 100k podcast with me matt taylor so today i'm joined with Sai. Sai has um i saw his thread initially on um twitter and, and i was like i need to speak to this dude because there was some really good information on there and i don't know uh, as i always say i don't want to steal their thunder too much but he was a director of end of life care in the nhs and um he did that for a few years and he'll go into more detail and then he, he got into operational service management which is all middle management stuff that us people on the ground we don't like those words operational service management which is a posh word for being like i'm your gaffer making sure you're working properly um so anyway so thanks mate welcome to the show you're all right thank you matt thanks for having me on my pleasure Much appreciated. it's all right so obviously like i said i read your thread on Twitter uh, where you you kind of went into quite a, a detail about your experience in end-of-life care and where that sort of started you going on your on your journey. So as always, would you like to tell um, our viewers and listeners what, um, what it was like for you and, and kind of how you went from end-of-life end care to, uh, to where you are now, mate, please? Um, so end-of-life care was something that I just fell into. Um, I was doing a lot of locum roles after using after leaving university um, and not really having given a chance to do a permanent role. So I ended up in bereavement services um, in around 2014. Um, didn't know what it was about, went into the role, pretty much had a really good mentor that looked after me, gave me a lot of knowledge as to what it was about. Um, essentially what we did was we had to go through patient notes following a death and approximately every day let's say on average you get around 15 deaths a day in the hospital um the team in bereavement services or patient affairs would have to go through every single patient note in the morning once we get told of the death by the mortuary and then uh, we have to bleep the doctors and so we have a big choice of who we can bleep mm. they're obviously on ward rounds with the um living patients as they like to call them um but we like to remind them that duty of candor, you know, your, your care extends to when the patient leaves the hospital. Mm. So, um, you know, we, we'd, pick our, we'd pick our doctor that we, we want to kind of bleep up and they'll be like, okay, we'll come down after ward rounds. They'll have a chat with their consultant, find out what they need to put down on the medical certificate. But by the time they come down, we've got a, we've got a picture of what's happened to this patient throughout mm. their admission to hospital so we kind of know what the cause of death is going to be and if need be we also um, recommend that a referral to the coroner is done so doctors come down uh, we have a chat we'll decide what's going to happen um, and doctors usually think they have an idea of what's happened but categorically they don't know unless you do a post-mortem mm. um, and that's done by a histopathologist uh, that is essentially where you open up the body and you find out what's going on with the different systems and the organs in the body. You can most likely come up with what's what's actually killed someone. So it's only the case where you don't know what's happened if the cause of death is unknown that you would refer to the coroner and that's done. Most of the time a death is expected as we'd like to call it. Mm -hmm. So uh, doctors will come down and we'll all agree on what needs to go down on, on the medical certificate. And this is something I did for a very long time. So as you can imagine, you know, a large number of patient notes are being read every single day. So you acquire medical knowledge throughout your years. Um, that's also where you know, my mentor took me aside one day in 2016 and said, 
you know, the whole system is going to change because the government are proposing this um, pilot scheme, which is what I tweeted, essentially tweeted about and wrote about in my thread. It was one of the first points. Mm. Um, and seeing that document, I didn't really understand, you know, how this is going to affect us as a service and our roles as individuals, whether it be my mentor or the bereavement officers and the bereavement admins that she she manages. So picking a brain, um, you know, I was just told that this is going to affect us because the power would be taken away from us. Uh, we would not be uh, medico kind of admin in terms of a dual role. Um, we would become purely administrative. So essentially just seeing family and uh, organising paperwork, you know, that kind of thing, purely administrative. So if this did come in, you know, this is going to be a big change for us, you know, from doing what we did to then having a lot of stuff taken away from us. And essentially it was being given to the medical examiner. And um, when I pushed for, you know, uh, more information as to who this person might be, uh, this is someone, uh, you know, my mentor said, usually a retired doctor, a retired GP, um, very senior, probably a consultant that's, um, towards the end of their career, they want to kind of, you know, take a step back. These are the type oh, yeah. of people that would apply for the job. So, you know, I listened to all this stuff. I ended up leaving that hospital and took up my first um, managerial position, which was managing bereavement services at a very big trust. Um, very lucky to get that role as well. It was a big opportunity for me. So going in, you know, um, I went in and I managed the team, managed a load of deaths, built a very close relationship with the medical director, and then started to put around some changes with how things were done to the service to try and improve it, service improvement. Um, and towards the end of my career in, in 2019, before I made that move, the medical director came down to the office one day and uh, I wrote about this again, you know, um, mentioned the, the, the hospital and the board considering a switch to the medical examiner system. So obviously for me, m massive bit of um, deja vu. Mm. And so, you know, immediately I thought back to the conversation I'd had previously, but I kind of played uh, stupid because I wanted to hear what, what this guy had to say about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and what was said was essentially everything I knew already. So in my mind, it was kind of like, you know, my time is up. You know, I'm not going to stick around if, you know, my role is going to change and if they're not going to look at potentially rebanding my staff, um, and, you know, they were trying to put, push a, a load of work onto us as well. So in my mind, I wanted to try and um, sidetrack into something else, which is what I did. Um, and then obviously, you know, going into operational management completely different. And that's when the pandemic struck. Um, and yeah, it was just, you know, slowly piecing together everything. I kind of forgot about everything I went through in end of life care. But it did come back to me, you know, um, during the times I was isolating in my room. I did mm. back and yeah, it, it made sense to me straight away. So what made you leave end of life care and go, you know, to uh, operational service management to the dark side, if you will? I, I always wanted to learn and um, improve on my knowledge. There's, there's so many areas of the NHS that you don't really know about until you go and experience it. So for me, I was dead set on staying in the NHS. For me, end of life care, did it for five and a half years. It's very draining. You know, don't get me wrong. It's not like we work there every day and we're depressed and just crying and stuff. No, it's not like that. We we crack jokes. We crack jokes with not obviously not bereaved relatives, right? We have to be professional when they come in. 
but when they're not there obviously you know teams are cracking jokes doctors are coming out we're having jokes you know um catching a lot of laughter it's not all doom and gloom but essentially the sad part of it is that you're seeing a substantial amount of death every single day of your life and you know it's sad to say but i think i'm kind of cold-hearted in in a sense because i'm not emotional when it comes to death i don't see one thing that got me through this was i saw death as a positive and not as a negative um Mm. you know the body is just temporary it's uh it's a soul that's everlasting so i don't see it as something that is is sad but that's that's my perspective on it yeah yeah i know what you mean i, I know what you mean i just, I just wanted a, a new challenge matt i had to go you know there was yeah. no way I was gonna say. five and a half years was a long time um yeah and it was, yeah. it was time for a change for me yeah well it is a bit of a change mate because you know the idea is end of life care is obviously exactly that you're facilitating people's you know transition to to the afterlife whereas you know if you go into operational service management management it's um so it was a and e and where else was it you you were bouncing around so I, I did a lot of stuff like um, I managed five services at a hospital in central London. Um, so outpatient services, stuff like dermatology, rheumatology, diabetes and endocrinology, um, cardiology, um, nephrology. It, it was completely different and it was stuff that I learned on the spot. But um, yeah, having to deal with the challenges that come with that, multiple yeah. clinicians coming up to you on a daily basis, it's, it's a totally different uh, mm. kettle of fish. Yeah, a little bit. So you were doing it. So obviously you said you, you started that, that job at the beginning of the pandemic. So take us through, obviously, what what happened there. Because obviously, was that the last role you did? Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Right. It, it was the last permanent role I did. Right, okay. Um, and then my last ever role was a locum position. I, I left my permanent position, gave that up, um, literally handed my CV in to, the, to a hospital where my girlfriend, was work- my ex-girlfriend was working at the time mm. and gave me a shout and they're like, do you want a job um, managing AMU? And I was like, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I want to see what's going on. Mm. Uh, and so I, I did it. I did it for six months and, and that's what made me leave, Matt. Right. So, okay. So what did you see in that six months, mate? So... For one, um, walking in every single day into A and E, didn't get tested once by anyone. You know, um, I'm sitting in an office with matrons, uh, you know, senior staff in the NHS. Not one mention of re- needing to be tested. I'm walking into wards with COVID positive patients, you know, um, who have tested positive with this PCR test. You know, walking into the rooms where they're being treated and stuff. You know, when I need to speak to doctors, etc. Mm. Yeah, okay, I've got my surgical mask on, kind of, <laughs> a bit lower down though. But mm. you know, that that was one thing that really surprised me. Six months, you know, of not a single test, and then, you know, my cricket boys that I play for, I play for a club in Chiswick, and mm. we do a tour internationally every year. Mm-hmm. And the boys were going to Cyprus, and you know, in the group, they're like, you know, make sure you get your PCR test. You need to test three times. I wasn't vaccinated at the time, right? Um, I'm still not vaccinated. Records say it, but, you know, <laughs> not, not getting that stuff. Perks well. of the job, bro. Perks of the when, job. When, <laughs> when you've got connections, you know, you can, yeah, you can yeah. make sure that you're seen as vaccinated, you know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, you know, they, they tried to make it difficult for me, Cyprus, you know? They were like, you need to test three times, report to us when you're there. And I'm like, listen, 
Yeah, I'm working in A&E, um, AMU, COVID hotspot, supposed COVID hotspot. Mm. I'm not being tested there. So I'm out of principle. I'm not going to be tested. So I didn't go on that tour, which was heartbreaking for me. Mm. <laughs> but it is what it is, you know. Uh, I'm going to stand by. That's right, man. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to stand yeah, by. Right. Um, yeah, second thing, you know, whilst there, obviously, you know, I was living with my ex-girlfriend at the time and listening to the stories that she has to tell me, you know, that's something as well, you know, having to speak to patients. You know, there's times where she comes back home and she was crying and she's like, you know, I had to speak what to What did she patient. do? What she, she was an F1 at the time. She was an F1, F1 on rotation. Right. She worked yeah. in ICU for a bit, for a little stint. One of us. Foundation of year one, folks. That's so she was. She'd, she'd done yeah. a uni stuff, and now she she's just on come out. She just come out of uni, and they put us straight into ITU. You know, oh, um, right. which is hard, which is tough. Uh, you know, very yeah. tough. I'll be honest. She she probably didn't know what she was doing, um, mm. which is the case with most F ones. Yeah, um, going into uni and studying medicine and then coming out and actually doing the clinical stuff yeah you're learning on the job you know yeah you've got some sound knowledge there's some very smart doctors out there for sure but a lot of them don't understand the reality of medicine and what it entails is mm. and then going through this period as well it wasn't easy it wasn't easy mm. and so you know i'd hear stories where like you know number one you know this whole family thing where you know, one next of kin is allowed in at some hospitals and in some hospitals, no next of kin. And, you know, they had to talk to them on iPads and laptops and stuff. And this is something that has never, ever happened in the history of medicine in this country. Mm. And, you know, to hear to hear a patient and a next of kin having a conversation, not knowing that they might not see each other again and that fear and stuff, mm. that, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just conversations where she was having conversations with patients that she's going to ventilate and she knows there's a 50% chance they're not going to wake up mm. and it's like they're asking her you know am I going to be okay how do you answer that question as a doctor yeah you know? right. without lying how, how, how do you answer she was like yeah. I just asked the patient to to pray that's all you know mm. if they believe in God pray to God that that's what that's what she did mm. you know it's tough you know mentally 100% that you know, and the fact that she was alone in terms of uh, the way that she thought, you know, she, she quickly realised that it wasn't what it was made out to be. But, you know, the way she was treated by consultants and her superiors, 100% mistreated, mate. Um, it's, uh, it's very sad to hear. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, again, was number two. Number three, going into board rounds running board board rounds two, twice a day and for everyone that doesn't know what a board round is it's basically um a massive whiteboard um in an office in a e or amu and we have um every single patient admitted uh, that's written down on the board and we talk about what they've been diagnosed with we're talking about their prognosis um which is what we expect to happen we th we talk about the specialty that they need to be transferred to so, for example, cardiology, gastro, or respiratory. Because it's all about beds at the end of the day. We want to try and make beds free. It's all about patient flow. That's what, yeah. what the NHS is about. We want to try and get another patient in to treat them and make money. Uh, that's the sad reality of it. The most important aspect of my job was going into the operational flow meetings at the end of the day with um, you know the bed managers and, 
uh, you know, very senior members of staff in the hospital and explaining how many discharges we had from A&E and AMU. Um, you know, and that, that's a daily reoccurrence, you know, most important thing that they, they want to hear at the end of the day. Um, yeah, which is, which is uh, eye-opening. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think it's when people really, yeah, yeah, I well, know, yeah, it is. If people knew some of the stuff, they'd, they'd um, so could, can you tell me, mate, how can hospitals in England make money? How can they make money? Mm. <laughs> how are they making money? Well, making that, that, money? well, yeah, I mean, I kind of didn't want to do a ton of like, because 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 obviously, te- in theory, they shouldn't yeah. be making money because they, sh- well, no, they, they have every right to make money, but they're, they're paid for by the NHS, by the government, if that makes sense. So, are hospitals ran like a business entity itself or, you know, how, how does it, so people can understand about it. Cause obviously in America, it's a different system. Yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah. you know, over here, do, do hospitals get paid for putting yeah, patients so, so, so and... we, we pay our taxes, right? The taxpayers pay, pay the money. Um, and the government essentially allocates a budget for mm. the healthcare system, uh, passed down to an entity called the primary care trust. Uh, and the primary care trust essentially, um, sits in different areas around the country um, and you have hospitals, GP surgeries, dental surgeries, whatever service that comes under the NHS all sitting under the primary care trust and essentially you have commissioners that will commission that budget towards the hospital and say listen for this, for diabetes I'm going to give you this much mm. you know, because um, your your population uh, depending you know you've got to think about socioeconomic background of people as well because across different areas of the country, you have different problems and different diseases that are prevalent. Yeah. So depending depending on the area, you'll see different amounts of budget allocated to, towards different things. Mm-hmm. So the way this this money is paid out is each hospital. I can talk about it from a hospital perspective. One yeah. of my first ever jobs was working as a clinical coding clerk, and. Oh yeah listen very basic job go around the hospital pick up notes from every single ward and take it to the clinical coders who essentially assign codes to every single treatment that's being done in the hospital similar to bereavement services going through the notes but you're looking for what's being done treatments and you're signing codes you know and there's a whole there's a whole textbook full of codes that they assign um it's a whole world in its own that people probably don't know about yeah, this goes on every single day and, and you know, there's breaches for not doing treatments in a certain amount of time. 18-week breach is a big one, 52-week breach is a massive one. Yeah. Um, you, they're, they're very lenient. They don't actually penalise. You know, there's this thing that you have to do it within 18 weeks, but no. Right. They'll just probably, I, I don't know, but I, I guess they tell you off. I think historically they used to penalise them. Um, but no, not anymore. I don't think so. But, you know, the target is to do, to do treatments from referral to, um, to, to try and do it within the 18 weeks. Um, so yeah, this all goes on. Um, and, uh, different, yeah, you know, different treatments have different amounts of money that are paid off. You know, I I saw a tweet yesterday where someone mentioned that, you know, uh, for a COVID vaccine to be issued by a GP, they were getting paid £12.58. I saw that tweet. I'm going to tweet about it today. Um, yeah, well, that's what, that's what I'm kind of trying to get to because it's very easy for people, and this is what this is the problem that you you'll get. It's very easy for people to just put different countries' experiences and slam it all together to to make it relevant to to their kind of narrative thinking at the time. And you've got to try and you know pick it apart and be like, look, I'm not saying you're wrong, but you know, 
every different every country is going to be different right yeah exactly exactly so so for, from our perspective it'd be difficult for our, for for people to understand how hospitals would benefit from putting patients on uh ventilators giving patients remdesivir or you know all the sort of stuff that's so how how would a hospital would a hospital get paid from a from a pct primary care trust for for doing that sort of thing they get paid for deaths matt you know right a, a death in a hospital gets paid for right and many people don't know this but uh, you might know this but you know the whole shipment thing with the whole we want to try and um stop doctors from potentially murdering their patients like Shipman did yeah it led to the mm. to the input of um an you know there was a, a system implied which was cremation paperwork right yeah the whole the whole point was to stop a doctor from potentially having a patient cremated and earning money from it and never you know the, the patient can't be um kind of investigated again because the the body is essentially gone right so yeah. um they they implemented a paperwork where, which needed two doctors so one doctor that was treating to essentially explain what's going on write the cause of death etc and then another doctor independent you know mm. that we used to get together and have a rotor of so we have a rotor of creme five doctors as we used to call them doing the part mm. two and both these doctors will be getting paid money to do this paperwork so it's it's a big business in itself you know, we have creme yeah. doctors that put themselves forward. And yeah, you know, when I went to manage my own service, yeah, I put together a lot of doctors that I felt were, you know, um, kind of knowledgeable and, and, and good enough to do the job and, and have some form of integrity to do it well. But, you know, some of these guys are walking away, walking away with a lot of, a lot of money, especially if we're calling them all the time to do it every day. So you know, so are they salaried in those positions and then they get paid extra for doing the the yeah. um, certifications and stuff as yeah. well right yeah. okay yeah. so so the and this is this is pretty messed up the money's coming from families right they pay the funeral directors the funeral directors are charging a certain amount from the families and part of that fee is for cremation paperwork for the doctors in my personal opinion right. it should be the doctor's duty to do that paperwork for free it's yeah. a patient that's died, right? You should not be making money from that. Don't get me wrong. There's very there's few doctors that said, you know what? Give this give this money to the uh, to charity. That's mm. fine. I, I respect that. Mm. But then there's also doctors that are like, you know, um, hey, when wh you know when are you going to give me a call? <laughs> you know, yeah. Hey, this is this is money for me. You know, it, and you will see that in the NHS. There's there's two types of doctors that I've come across. Yeah. One that genuinely care about their patients and safety and, and very caring and have good ethics and morals. And then you have the other lot that do it for money. Oh yeah. And it's purely yeah. about money and they will do anything for money. Uh, and, and that's the solid truth. And I've got one of my best mates, you know, he's a GP known this guy for a long time. He's like my brother. Not sure he was my brother now, but um, you know this guy's driven by money and money alone. Because I can tell from the way he talks to me, right? He'll he'll be complaining about seeing thirty patients a day as a GP. Oh, I've only got five minutes to see them, and they come in with five problems, and I can only diagnose and treat one. Right? Mm. I don't have that time, and and you know they come in and they tell me about three problems, and I'm like, you know, let me talk about the first one. And 
always used to complain about everything, everything about the NHS. Like I'd hear sub stories from him, right? Bearing in mind, people want to be in his position. They want to be doctors and they're not doctors. But he, he was driven by money. And what happened? He moved to Canada. Why? Because their system is completely different. So now if a patient comes in and asks for five things or, or presents with five problems, he'll be like, do you know what? You can have this CT scan. You can have this injection. Whoa. You can have this X-ray, and you can have a you can have a MRI. That's fine. You know, I, I'll give you everything you want because guess what? I'm getting paid for it, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, you've got to think about medicine as being a business. I think. Well, um, that's the thing in it. I think we don't want it. Well, I think that the, the general the general consensus is people have paid into this service, right? So they expect to get out of it what they've put into it, which I, I fully understand. But what people don't get is, is just because you haven't had a heart attack today, that doesn't mean anyone else hasn't. Yeah. And then when you go to any hospital, you know, aging population, lack of new hospitals, yada, 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 you know, the, it's a recipe for disaster anyway. Um, and then they get like, you know, upset when they're not seen and everyone has a different level of what they consider emergency. It's just trying to manage people's expectations of what they can get from the NHS. That's half the battle. But... 100%. I think, okay, so we've, I mean, everybody, so is, did you, all right, this is a good question. I mean, there's so many questions. I mean, people screaming, you didn't ask it this, you didn't ask it that. <laughs> so is there evidence that, because I know that this happening as well, is there evidence of privatization, not within, okay, so let me backtrack a little bit, sorry. People need to understand that there's already privatization going on with certain things like linen, catering, and all that kind of stuff, which comes in from an external, you know, providers. But from a, from a hospital perspective, is there any evidence you're talking about clinically you're talking about yeah yeah i I can't talk about clinically too much because i'm not there on site where you know involved in decisions where it's becoming privatized so i I would be lying if i said yes and started talking about it what Mm. i can talk about is patient notes getting privatized for example iron mountain you must have heard about them yeah i've heard of iron mountain yeah 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 that's an external company there's all these external companies that are coming in and making use of the nhs and and taking large amounts of money when you have such a large amount of money to manage that's given down from the government and the primary care trust you have people in finance who are mismanaging it in my opinion there's a lot of money that is being misspent and there's a lot of people making taking advantage of that 100 you know contracts being issued people not knowing you know and not looking for the best deal Mm. um you know, there's a lot of money that can be saved for sure, and and go into areas where it needs to go. If you yeah. know what I'm trying to say, yeah, oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. I think there was um, the company that that we have going on the side. We we were trying to provide a uh, home visiting service off oh, five six years ago now. When we went and had an interview with with some, well, there were CCGs at the time before it all changed to Primary Care Trust, the Clinical Care Commission Group, yep. same sort of thing, but. Um, the responsibility wasn't so much with the doctors it was more with the the ccg group anyway yeah. so we went there and pre- presented a business plan of this service and all that and and we could save the money and do more stuff because we had paramedics that was you know better trained uh, and they said very early doors in the meeting um we're not interested in saving money and we were like right okay and we, we we'd like we'd save them i think if, we, if they'd have taken us on for this we would have saved them about a quarter of a million quid i think it was yeah. um out of the however million pound budget and they said we're not interested in saving money because if we don't spend it we won't have it for next year what we want is an effective service and you're like okay but we're bringing you an effective service and saving money yeah, but they yeah. weren't they didn't care about that it was just yeah. like as long as your service works it's fine 
Yeah. Um, and what they didn't like is when we went in there, because paramedics have quite a, uh, a large scope to do certain things. Okay. Uh, we had paramedics who could go in there and do several things. And they were getting annoyed with the fact that they realized that they were paying for four services and they could just pay for hours and we would have been able to do all of that stuff. Oh, so we never got we never got anything because well, what would we use you for? And it's like, well, you're not, you know, you, you know, you could use us to do this, but but we've already got a service for that. And then they'd start and think, hang on a minute, we're paying that for service, that for hang on a minute. And then they realize actually. Um, so so anyway, so yeah, so they don't understand what they're doing a lot of the time and, and the, the interpersonal relationships with different, you know, nurses and uh, it just it's, it's not as good as it could be. But OK, right. So even so, even like uh, agencies, Matt, you know, how much yeah. money are being spent on agencies? you're paying yeah you're playing the, you're playing the employee to come in and then you're playing a premium on top of that really. well yeah see i used to work in out of hours for an agency yeah and i used to, i was going to say this that there was a doctor there that i know well there were doctors there that used to work in their clinics during the day and then we're doing night shift yeah and they go into work the next day and do clinic and do that for about four or five days on the bounce and then, uh, and then they were thousands of pounds a day you know what i mean and and drive to work in a lambo well, I thought, well, yeah. I mean, they'd get drove. You get used to. We used to get driven around in out of hours. Um, so they'd sleep between like journeys because it was down south in in the Gloucestershire area. So it was quite. Uh, there was tr decent travel time between each patient. So sometimes they'd get their head down and just sleep between visits. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and they go to work the next day and do their clinic and stuff. So it's. Uh, but yeah, with agency. I mean, I was on again. We nearly set up an agency and the the markup man yeah <laughs> i mean they get imagine imagine getting paid 15 pounds an hour yeah somebody else working for you <laughs> like that's what it is so it's like i'll do a 12 hour it's shift great right? it's great <laughs> yeah well this is it isn't it then, you know and so i would do a 12 hour shift and i'd get x amount of money and then i'll think hang on a minute he, he's earned like 12 15s <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he's yeah. earned literally 170 quid yeah, um, it, it's taking advantage. Of, it's taking advantage of desperation because yes, it is, yeah. you know, in a service, you're going to have people go off sick, clinicians, admin. You're going to have people go off on maternity, and you need the cover. And you know, getting get using an agency is generally a lot easier than doing the work and applying for someone permanent. Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes behind that, and it's not easy. So yeah, yeah, I think mm. it comes down to laziness essentially. Well, yeah, if you could just phone up someone and go, right, I need three nurses because three are Exactly. And they'll be done in an hour. You know, it's, it's, and, and people think, oh, agency staff get paid loads. And think they get paid better than you do, but they don't get sick pay. They don't get holiday pay. They don't get no pension contribution. So when you take that all into consideration, they're on less than you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a big risk to do, 100%. It is. I mean, I did it for Crikey. I did it for about five years. Mm. And because I got paid so well, I did 12 hours on a Saturday, 12 hours on a Sunday. And sometimes I did a night shift in the okay. week. That's all I used to work. And you like, you're okay. Well, I was. I'm not now. <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> this is pre all like you know Armageddon stuff. This was when times were good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I wasn't upsetting my regulatory body all the time for doing mm. stuff. So yeah, mm. that was when times were good. But you know, it was, but even then, who we worked for at the time, the 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 organisation who ran the out of hours at the time, uh, mm. there was it was horrendous the stuff they were getting up to. Mm. Um, it's and, interesting about this uh, regulatory stuff because who actually gives them the power to to kind of control and, and rule over all this stuff. You know, why is it, I always think about boxing as, as, as an example, because, you know, you have four massive uh, bodies that regulate boxing, WBA, WBO, IBF, um, and WBC. And, and they all have a lot of power, but with 
medicine, there's the GMC. With dentistry, there's a GDC. There's only one. So why is there... I always question, you know, why is there not another body that has risen up that maybe has good, more better ethics or, you know, that does actually stand for, you know, the truth? Uh, because it seems like, you know, a lot a lot of people aren't coming out and speaking because of the risk that they face um, by speaking out. Well, yeah, I mean, look, let me give you a bit of background information. On, I mean, I don't want to go into too much detail because it's still ongoing, but I'll probably have to do a podcast about it anyway because no doubt someone will be like, oh, you've not got, a, you've been struck off. So, <laughs> but this is some stuff that to put, it, it's some stuff that happened three, like from 2017 onwards. Um, and it's just a, a collaboration of complaints of people um, having issues with my attitude or certain things. It was very, very, I did one thing that was clinically not right, but the patient was okay and there was no drama, you know what I mean? But okay. the rest of it was mainly just they didn't like my attitude, they didn't like that I didn't do something. But I was seeing a thousand patients a year, you know, and I had, you know, so you, 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 you know, convey about, you have that five, 15 minutes to see them. So, you know, you make mistakes, you know, you know, things happen sometimes, but there was no support there. Anyway, yeah. basically what they've done is I pay registration fee every year to call myself a paramedic. Okay. And then for that privilege, uh, if, if anyone puts in a complaint against me or raises a fitness to practice concern, which they did, yeah. I then okay. get investigated by that said committee. Every single um, time. Yeah. And they basically say that their main issues are to make sure that you're not bringing the, the, the profession into, you know, bad exactly. light and you're, and you're not a danger to the public. Yep. Three years it's taken them to investigate this thing. Okay. Right. And I'm, I'm, they've got, the hearing is, is in April, the day after my birthday. Right. Okay. Wow um as it, and that's birthday, they, mate. oh yeah i mean i'm not going i've not responded to them or anything like that but that's a story for another time do you know what i mean i sent them off my all my evidence my reflections my character references everything else you know what i mean yeah uh, i can't say sorry enough if you know what i mean and then when i contested it and said look some of the stuff that's been said in these statements didn't happen mm. i got accused of denying all the allegations oh wow and i was like all oh, right so so you asked me for my response and if i say to you well actually that's not right i'm the liar wow so so that's going on anyway. So I had all that over my head all whilst doing all this and it's still going on now, but I don't, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it is what it, but hey, basically anyway, what I'm saying is, is I'll probably get suspended. Um, and I won't be able to practice as a paramedic just simply because someone's complained and, and, that, and, and, and they think there's a, well, they, they don't think there's a pattern. It's just, um, basically they pay a law firm to collect and put together the case. So it's not even the HCPC that do it. So they okay. pay a law firm to do it. So I've got communication from lawyers Yep. And then I get some guy who's been paid to look at the complaints, who is allegedly a paramedic clinician, will then look at all the complaints and go, well, I think he should have done this. And I think, you know, completely like, like, so, so someone else is completely out of context, not, not there, no emotional thing. And then looks at it and goes, I think you're right. I think he's, he's wrong or whatever. And then pending that, that gets thrown in with all the allegations. Mm. So then I've got 400 pages of basically someone telling me how shit I am. Right. <laughs> And I'm supposed to go there and defend myself and say, well, look, I'm not as shit as you say I am. Yeah. I am sorry, obviously, but I didn't do all of the things that you've been said there. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's just a met. But and, and, and by the way, I've had to go out and still practice before I, I left the NHS, still practice as a paramedic, still get suspended. <laughs> still get <laughs> and stuff. So do you know what I mean? And it's just like, yeah. but so it's, but what people don't realize is, is like, like I could have, I, if I didn't leave the NHS, that's part of the reason why I left. If I didn't leave yeah. the NHS, I had my hat, my head in a noose. And I yeah. had no idea and yeah. still don't whether or I do or don't will have a job after uh, yeah. April the 11th because they can, because they did it to my friend. And I don't usually talk this much, so sorry, mate. But they no, did it to my friend. Um, they had the uh, the hearing and yeah. 
they were just called at work and said, this is the result of the hearing. You've been suspended. You need to go home. So that person then had to go tell her employer that day, that second, I'm sorry, I need to go home. And they were like, what? And then they found out uh, and they were really upset that that person didn't obviously speak to them about it prior to that. But I can relate. It's like you don't want to start a new job and go, by the way, <laughs> I know you've just employed me, but I might be getting sucked. Um, <laughs> you know, so that person didn't say anything and I completely got it. But she uh, she had to go in there and, you know, explain it. And, and then it was, you know, they were obviously devastated because, you know, believe it or not, we make mistakes, but we're not bad clinicians or bad people all the time. Yeah. Um, but then that person had to go home and that was it. That was it. They couldn't work as a paramedic and they haven't done since. Wow. Ruthless, ruthless. It, and that's, that's, that's exactly, it's ruthless. It's ruthless. You know, ruthless. we're supposed to have compassion and be yeah. always thinking about what's best for the patient whilst knowing that if we do something wrong, yeah. then you'll always be seen as... It, it, it's about learning from your mistakes. It's not about being, you know, harsh. Well, I thought the NHS was a, a learn, not blame thing, weren't it? But what I've realised, and, and you'll probably, you know, realise, it's not learn, not blame. It's <laughs> learn figure out whether you're at, at fault or whether we're at fault and then you know we'll take it from there and then that's it pretty much yeah 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 100% with, oh. with, you know with the h you said hcpc is that yes. is that the regulatory body yeah 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 so we have to pay them i think it's nearly 300 pound a year um same as the nmc the uh, national midwifery council and the royal college of nursing they they're not the professional body hold on wait hold on they're not a regulatory what's the difference because the GMC is different. The GMC is a regulatory body, mm. whereas the HCPC and the nursing ones, they're professional bodies. So it's slightly different because the GMC registration or license is, is different than obviously the paramedics and the nurses. So it, it's the GMC's ran slightly different because um, yeah. I what, don't know. Why, if why are they still investigating you, Matt, if you've left the NHS? What, why is it that they... Because it takes that long for them to, um, it's taken that long for them to get all the statements together, all the bits and pieces together, all the, you know, I'd, I've had three, four different solicitors contact me. Um, uh, I, I don't know, mate, because basically I, I got CC'd in and everything when the communication was happening between the people that had put in the complaints about me, because obviously you'd get a complaint, you'd write a statement or reflection about that complaint, and then you'd think nothing of it. But what they'd done is they'd got all of those complaints and statements and thrown them all together and gone, right, we want to report him. I didn't even tell me. Wow. So I, I, so I, I just got a, a, an email from the HCPC saying someone's reported you for fitness to practice concern. Mm -hmm. And then I got told at the time, I think it was like that day that I, I no longer had work at that place anymore. Uh, and that was why. So I was like, right, okay. So then I had to, you know, get all the information, look at the complaints, reflect on all of them because there were some, okay, you know, you have to reflect on, you know, someone found my attitude offensive or they didn't like I said this or that or, so, you know, attitude is perceptive, but so you have to appreciate that people do find you sometimes this and that, but patients are the same. I can't complain about it. It's just people have no idea. Yeah, the yeah no, that we have to deal with just yeah. to do our job day in yeah. day. You know, I, I I got accused of not looking professional enough at the time. Yeah. Um. And 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 so and one of them, one of them was 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 uh was a clinical thing that I should have I should have done. Nothing happened to the patient, but I should have done something and referred them to somewhere. But I didn't because it was Sunday, and at the time I couldn't get hold of the consultant, and I knew they'd been busy all day. So I was like, go see a doctor tomorrow, which was Monday. Patient didn't. They went on the Wednesday, by which time they were too poorly. And then mm. had to be admitted. And because I was the first person that person saw, mm. it all falls that, well, why did you do this? And why did you do that? Well, it was out of hours and it was a Sunday. And I <laughs> said, go to your doctor tomorrow. 
here's some antibiotics, go to your doctor tomorrow. So it's like, if the patient doesn't do what I tell them afterwards, yeah, but you should have done this. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. I should have done that, but I didn't. But I also gave the patient af like um, uh, worsening advice and advice to do, you know, that it's like, I just said, go home and don't worry about it. You know, it's like, you know, I gave you advice, wait 12, you know, so... But on reflection, yeah, I should have done. I should have done that. But you know, it's like you see that many patients every day, and you don't do something right. You don't expect to like lose your job for it. But yeah. it was it was a sign, mate. It was a sign because yeah. then the mandates came in, and then I was getting threatened for dismissal by my employer for because yeah. I did obviously have not had the jab. So there was all that. So I was still going in and out of care homes, and then the next day I couldn't, and it was all just like. Then I started the podcast and trying to fight against. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. had all this shit going on in my head yeah. uh, or in my life, you know. Um, I, I think I think look at the positives, Matt, because now oh, yeah. you're in a position where you can work for yourself now. You're not tied down to an employer because mm. employers at the end of the day, whether you like it or not, when it comes down to it, do they actually care about us? Because if we drop down dead, right, what's going to happen? They're going to replace yeah. us, right? So I just think it's always better to be your own boss. Um, you know, I don't know if you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but that really changed my life, mate. I've heard of it. I, I keep meaning to read it, but you never see anybody rich working for other, someone else, do you? No, never, never, never. So, Everyone's well, in the rat race. They are. Well, this is it. Everyone wants to be rich for doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, that's it. That's it. Is it? Everyone wants to be rich. Everyone wants to be an influencer on TV or whatever, or, or even not that. They just want to be rich, but not do anything for it. Yeah. The sort of sense of entitlement. Right. I want to go back to, obviously, because we haven't really got to the juicy parts of as to what, what it was. So... You were working in any of the time, and obviously we got to the third point. So you would, you, you obviously did. Talking uh, about board rounds, isn't it? I was talking about. Yeah, board yeah, we're on board rounds. We got yeah, sidetracked majorly there. Oh, that was a massive segue. But it's fine. It's cool, man. We got back yeah. in the end. We good. did. We did. We circled back. Quite <laughs> <laughs> detail. Yes. Uh, so board rounds, fella. Um, so yeah, for I was explaining to to everyone that might be listening. You know, massive board with a list of patients on it. We discuss what what's going to happen when they're going to be discharged. Um, we talk about treatment, when we can get them moved out of A&E or A&U potentially. And, and this is a discussion that happens with the whole clinical team. So we're talking all the treating doctors, consultant, registrar, juniors, SHO. We've got the matron there. We've got the nurses there. We've got the physio there. We've got the discharge uh, coordinators there. We've got the pharmacist there. So big, big room, massive discussion. And one thing I spotted, mate, was the vaccines had just come out and you know, I was seeing at least three patients a day that were coming in um, from blackouts, strokes or clots. And this was being openly discussed in the board round meetings every day. Yet no one decided to kind of, you know, raise concerns about it um, or, you know, question it. It was just kind of spoken about as if, yeah, you know, this is this is just normal. This is what we discuss, you know, mm. and that's one thing that I was a bit surprised about. But you know, uh, at that time, I'd already made my mind up that I wasn't taking it. You know, there was no chance yeah. I was taking it. Um, so, yeah, you know, noticing that was interesting as well. Um, the whole mask situation, uh, you know, N95 masks. Yeah, clinicians were being fitted with them. But, you know, receptionists, everyone else, mm. you know, nah, mm. we, we don't get them. We don't get them. Um, it's surgical masks all the way, right? So that's another thing you have to question, especially when people in the group, in my WhatsApp group, they're all doctors and medics, you know, they were running around at the start of the pandemic saying we need N95 respirators because 
we're worried that the virus is going to get through. I don't want to go to work and work the spray, you know, it's mm. contagious. <laughs> and then, you know, you then walk around the world and people are wearing surgical masks, you know, in their cars and stuff. And you're like, what's going on? This don't make mm. sense. It don't, it don't yeah. make sense at all. And then obviously, you know, the juiciest part, the reason why I left, um, that gentleman, 56 year old, comes in with end stage kidney failure, um, no respiratory symptoms, no shortness of breath, no temperature, just needs dialysis. He sadly come into our hospital, which is very small and doesn't have a dialysis machine. It's not the biggest hospital. And so um, treating doctor tries to get him transferred, um, struggles to do it, gets me involved. So I come down. Uh, we both have a discussion with this doctor trying to get him transferred for treatment. Um, reiterate the point that he's going to die without dialysis. Doctor on the other end is adamant. You know, we cannot accept purely because um, he's tested positive on entry to A&E, which stays on the record, um, which I think is not right because we know that if we test again, this gentleman would have probably been negative. Mm. You know, there's a big, big chance of that. But unfortunately, um, I guess it's fate in a sense, you know, um, destiny, whatever you want to call it. You know, he, he's tested positive. It stays on his record that you cannot obviously change. Um, you know, we tried hard to get him across different hospitals in, in London. Uh, every single hospital turned him down because of COVID-19 infection protocol. Who's the person that wrote this? Because this didn't exist pre-pandemic. Someone has written these policies in the hospital. Mm. These people are accountable, right? Because of this bullshit policy, this man couldn't get transferred and he ends up dying. He becomes a stat because you've got that ME system, which I talked about, that has now come into place across yeah. hospitals. And I don't know how it worked in different, different hospitals, but in the hospital that I was at, I know for certain they were switching back and forth from this system, right? And I think they did that when they needed to try and increase the number of deaths, so increase the narrative, try and scare the population so the media would write about it. It was one way to do it because, say, when deaths were low, you know, you, my girlfriend was going down to... Um, to bereavement or patient affairs to do the med certs and, and actually write in the cause of death that her consultant and she had probably thought that was the right cause of death. Mm. And then the next week she would come down and she was told she was not needed because they were using the ME, the medical examiner. So what's going on here? Why are you switching back and forth? Right. You know, that, that's something you got, you got a question. Um, mm. Cause there's a, there's a big argument, isn't there as to whether that the, with the death certificates, did you see any that obviously you wouldn't have you've seen death certificates no, in the end of life no, care? No, no. No. Never never seen it, but heard what happened because for example, this gentleman, um, I know for sure 1A end stage kidney failure, hundred percent. You know, mm. there's no doubt about it. He's not gonna die from COVID nineteen. Mm. He didn't he, he he had no respiratory symptoms, he was not respiratory ill, he was not struggling to breathe, etc. It is end stage kidney failure that killed him, and it should have been one A end stage kidney failure, two contributing to but not yep. directly causing COVID-19, 100%. You put it there, that's fine. Doesn't add towards the stats, but no. Right. Can we just explain to people as well, because another mate of mine who works in A&E was, was, was saying this would be a good question to ask yeah. for, 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 for uh, freedom of information request. Just explain to people on the death certificate, you have three boxes, don't you? Not three or boxes, three, but three, three lines. Death, three lines, it? yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll go through it. So a medical certificate is called an MCCD. Um, it's called a medical certificate of cause of death. 
and it's it's regulated you can't get hold of this it comes through the registry um this is pre-pandemic i don't know i'm pretty sure they changed all the paperwork when the yeah. ME system came in they did a whole new series of paperwork and stuff i don't know i'm talking pre-pandemic yeah um but essentially the, the the basis will remain the same so patient's name uh date of de death date of birth um you have your box with 1a 1b 1c and then two you can add a 1d with your handwriting if you want so how this works is 1a is the direct cause of death that goes in 1a so for example if you come into a hospital and you have a heart attack 1a is going to be myocardial infarction uh -huh. if you've got underlying comorbidities for example diabetes you could put type 2 diabetes in um two you could uh -huh. say it contributed to but it, it didn't actually kill the person right it's the heart attack yeah. that killed the person you yeah. could also put a load of stuff you could put copd under two you could put for example frailty of old age that's something that is regularly seen as a 1a as well mm. people do get so old that they actually die right that happens yeah yeah you know, all right surprise surprise everyone you yeah. know it happens um and you know 1b essentially so let's think about something that would go um that would happen for 1b so for example let's just say uh someone comes in uh and they have i'm trying to think of something here mate um, yeah no it's uh, that's i think i had it's basically if someone gets hit by a train right yes, i've heard about this stuff right yeah 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 <laughs> number yeah. one if someone gets hit by a train or a car right yeah you're probably going to be dead on yeah. the spot yeah. If you're dead on the spot in this country, the body goes to the coroner's. It wouldn't go to the hospital unless you're alive or breathing or showing signs of life. Pretty so much, I yeah. I don't understand this whole thing where people are like, oh, yeah, you know, they died in a car accident and it got certified as COVID-19. Yeah, maybe it did, but that would be done by the coroner's, not by the hospital or the ME. Yeah, and, that, and that's I, the I've thing. I've got to say that. Yeah, no, no, and I agree because I found out about it through a relative of, of my family passing away during the pandemic and then we got the death certificate and it said it on there oh wow um, so but he he uh unfortunately passed away in hospital okay. so okay. i think it was so I'm, I'm guessing he was he was actually not critically injured at the time of the accident went into a hospital they probably tested him i'm guessing yeah well yeah it was my granddad he didn't have he just collapsed at home pre oh. like, you know he wasn't he'd, he'd been isolating you know you know and all that he just collapsed at home and was poor he was 95 i think 94 at the okay. time pacemaker one kidney you know classic you know sorry to hear, mate. it's it's bless him he wanted to die he's italian he wanted to die when he was like you know 76 you know what i mean you know that like, on the madeo i just want to uh, you know and it's like right okay yeah he had, had a solid you know? innings yeah solid yeah innings. that's it so but god bless him you know what i mean but uh, yeah. you know he he, he, he Something happened at home and nothing to do with COVID. He was in hospital yeah. for, for about 10, 11 days. They were testing him. Okay. Um, and they said they kept on saying he didn't have it all the way through. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, family I remember. understand situations like that, I completely yeah. understand because yeah. collapse, you're going to get tested on the way in. But the traumatic accidents, I, I, unless they're showing signs of life, I don't expect them to be taken to, to A&E. Uh, no, well, that's the thing. So, I, and yeah. I think that's... And we're never going to know this because, like, yes, you said, of course. my friends who work in any, they won't see the death certificate unless they're filling it out, if that makes yep. sense, and, and yep. they died in recess or, yep. or whatever. So, uh, this is what I'm trying to say, folks. It's difficult to to confirm or, or disprove these things. Yeah. I know lots of people have said that they, when they've seen the certificate, said this. I'm not saying it's not true, but like you mm. say, if someone's had their head chopped off in an yes. in a car crash, yeah. um, you know, 
I'm not saying it hasn't happened, or right? it's just difficult to to prove that it you know that it has or it hasn't. Okay, so so basically, you 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 were kind of come at it from because the idiocracy that you were seeing, we were also seeing as clinicians. You know what I mean? So it was interesting that someone like yourself saw it because it would be like you know you could go, you'd have to wear your mask on the floor, but then you could sit in the break room and not wear your mask. You know, like COVID yeah. knew that it couldn't go around doors, and it was just it was just ridiculous. And it was like you know when you work in healthcare, yeah. You go through healthcare what using medicine and knowledge, not bullshit. You know what I mean? Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm just trying so, to think of a one B and a one A for. Is that what you've been trying to think? Okay, let's. Okay, so okay, so this is it was like. Um, no, let's drowning. do this. So 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 one B COPD chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, mm-hmm. and then one A will go with uh, some form of pneumonia or infection. You can have as one A. Yes. So, COPD yeah. led to the infection, essentially. Yes. It's, the, yes. it's the actual infection that killed the patient. Yes. Okay. So, 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 yeah. So, basically, if people would get the, well, not people, but the, it would be better, better more beneficial than for the statistics if COVID was in box 1A, essentially. 100% on its right. own. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to say, basically, to yeah, people. Yeah. So, pretty much anybody that died in hospital, yeah. uh, it sh- should, if anything, one, B should, should have been COVID should have been in 1B essentially pretty much most of the time yeah. and then you know 1A should have been the, the heart failure or you know but COVID would have made it worse but yeah. anyway yeah so I just wanted to kind of try and see if we could and, and I think that. I think the reasoning behind that we're never going to know categorically because I wasn't yeah. there but I think in terms of pay, payments you know the COVID death was a higher payout in terms right. of the hospital so what sort of are we talking here what so say that again? What sort, of, what sort of numbers are we talking here? You know, is it like per person? Like you know, was it eighty? I, I think person? so. Yeah, for per COVID death, there would have been something higher because. It, and the reason I'm saying this is because you know when we looked at that payout for the COVID vaccine, twelve fifty eight, twenty five percent higher than the influenza vaccine. Mm. So something similar, right? Mm. Something similar there that I think would have been set up to incentivize hospitals to actually declare COVID deaths. Hence why, example, when this gentleman died, you had the ME come in and enforce the fact that 1A was COVID-19 and 2 was end-stage kidney failure because, number one, it adds to the stats, plus number two, the hospital was getting a payout. And number three, me and the treating doctor disagreed with it, but we couldn't do anything because the whole system is kept away. And we know this happened because I spoke to my mentor after my thread a couple of weeks ago only. So I know what's been going on during yeah um, the pandemic and the whole system was kept away because number one she's the type of woman she's got the morality and and ethics to be able to challenge that and say hang on a sec that's wrong you know mm. and i know mm. she's the type of person that would do that but she was not allowed to because the whole system was kept somewhere else yeah so what can you just go into the me system a little bit more in more detail or just tell us why it's 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 not it's not a good thing why it's not a good thing um yeah it can be a good thing, right? Okay, yeah, it's a yeah. bad thing. That's halfway. <laughs> it, it can be a good thing if there's not a pandemic, because essentially you are going to be saving a lot of money, right? Let, let's talk about saving money for the NHS. Yeah, it will save a lot of money because one person is doing something that tons of people were doing before. So, yeah, you're going to save time. You're going to have doctors that would be able to go on towards and actually look after their patients and continue to provide a high level of service to their patients. So, yeah, there's those benefits but unfortunately, when we're looking at the pandemic and why it was implemented, mm. yeah, no, completely unnecessary. You know, it was that it was done to regulate causes of death 
and um, make it seem as if there was something that was, um, you know, untoward towards the population when there was there wasn't because, you know, we'll go back to pneumonia being the highest cause of death pre-pandemic. Mm. Every single year we have four types of pneumonia that add up, kill the largest number of people per year. And I saw this for myself every single year. Mm. The stats are there. I'm sure people can ask for this with a with a free freedom for information request. Um, it's Google it, mate. You, it's, yeah. it's that simple. Yes, it's, a lot of the time it's knowing what to look for. But yeah, you're right. We used to say this all the time. At least twenty thousand, even thirty thousand a year die of flu. Anyway, just flu. Exactly. They're not including pneumonia. They're not including. So it's not difficult to move those deaths to to, to another to, to one thing. Yeah, to one name, which is what they did. And when that happens, you, you then have a narrative where you know, whoa, there's a load of deaths with this new condition, right? Plus, you got that PCR system adding mm. the cancers, the hemorrhages, the strokes, you know, your your old age deaths, your AAAs, your, your patients that die on the operating table, um, yeah, your, your deaths from dementia, you know. Yeah. You got all of those that you can potentially add if they test positive with that PCR test. And you've got a longer period of time to certify it as well, because yeah. prior to the pandemic, it was only 14 days. And I know 100% they increased that, you know, mm. which would give them more chance to certify instead of referring it to the coroner. It doesn't yeah. matter if they refer to the coroner because the coroner is probably in on it as well. So, well, this is this is nothing I wanted to say. So, um, again, like in America, incentivizing hospitals financially is, you know, that has a benefit for everybody all around because they can pass on the kick down some bonuses to the clinicians and all that. But from a hospital in the NHS, who, who would benefit from, from the hospital getting paid that extra money? Because it's not like they can buy a Lamborghini for the hospital, is it? If you know what I mean? Lamborghini ambulances. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a pool Lambo. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, you know what? We might start seeing them in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I know what, yeah. No. Well, there's that, there's that chick who got, uh, who got what did they, they went out and sabotaged her boat in Barcelona, didn't they? Yeah. Like, they called I, saw, I saw that here. video. That was hilarious. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, that she she got rich from all the PPE, didn't she? And then disappeared. Um, I, I'm, I'm just sad they didn't drill a hole in the bottom. Yeah, well, the they may have done. We don't know yeah. yet. It might, be, um, it might be at the bottom of the ocean. We'll yeah, see. I know, right. No, uh, jokes yeah. aside, um... Who's going to profit? You have to think about hierarchy. Um, you have to think about who's who's the overall accountable person in a hospital. And and that's going to be the CEO, right? Mm. Nothing can happen in, in a hospital without the CEO giving the go-ahead for anything. You know, they're the person that is accountable. You know, you got to... If I was, if I was Sherlock Holmes... I'd be looking at their finances. Yeah. Yeah. It's as easy as that, isn't it? Like following See the if money. there's any payouts because, uh, you know, if something's going on, they're going to be getting payouts for sure to implement all this bullshit. That, that's it, for sure. So it definitely you know, felt like someone from the top down was. Yeah. Was you know, when you, say to them, when you say to them, where's the policy? What, what, poli what policy are we going off here? Because the, the, um, the mask policy or the the, you know, the policy in the hospital that says, you know, I don't have to undergo any treatment or anything and I don't need to be discriminated against and I shouldn't be discriminated against and all that. And I, I shouldn't have to tolerate any medical intervention or procedure that caused me physical harm or stress. Hmm. But then you're telling me that the policy says I've got to wear a mask, which causes me physical harm and stress, which contradicts this policy that's always been in for decades. So which policy are we going off here? And then, <laughs> and then that's it. The argument will break down and they'll be like, oh, just, just wear your mask. You're like, no, not just nothing. 
you, you know, what, what we, and then, you know, so it was just like we were just told and people just went, yeah, all right then. And, and, but then as soon as you started picking at it, you know. People, the, the truth is, mate, people don't care enough in the NHS. You know, the people that are responsible for the policies, they weren't making changes because I, I know for sure I changed policies that I shouldn't have been writing. Right. And it was because the person that was meant to do it didn't want to do it or was too lazy and was be like, if you want to change it, change it because they agree with the change that's happening. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the yeah. scene, for sure. Yeah, there is. You know? All right, we're, we're approaching an hour, so I know you're a busy man. No, listen, I'm happy to talk to you another time. That's not fine. That's no, not no, 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 no. I, I just wanted to say, is there anything else you want to... <laughs> that, that is key to talk about. Um, yeah, that you want to drop in that you feel like we've not touched? Because I do, I do this all the time, and then I think about 50 questions afterwards. I'm like, oh, mate. But um, um, mistreat of mistreatment of NHS staff is a big thing for me. Yeah. You know, that happens a lot. And I'm sure it happened a lot during the pandemic. It did happen to me as well. Happened to my boss. I'm sure it happened to you, Matt. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're disposable assets. That's what we are. No one really cares about us. The way that we were treated when when all this stuff happened. I know it was all bollocks, but, you know, it's a lot of stress to 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 go through and stress leads to illness. You know, how many people got ill from all this panic and stress that was thrown on us suddenly, you know, and then the way that they were treating us as well, you know, um, that our lives didn't matter, you know, and all we're here to do is to help people, you know, yeah. that's a big, that's a big thing. And, and that's a big no, no. And for me, that's when I realized, you know what, like the NHS, yeah, I can, I can work hard for them and, and do my best and try to help people. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, they don't care about you. No, no. Hence why, take your life into your own hands. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and this is the thing I used to say to a lot of people, the best thing you could do is, you know, gain some knowledge. Because if, if people had a tiny little bit of understanding of biology, even a tiny bit, right? Yeah. They would have been like, hang on a minute. So this virus can do what? <laughs> it can stay where for how long? <laughs> how many days can it stay on my box for outside? <laughs> really? You know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, and it was just, just ask some questions, man. And very quickly you'd see. But the thing is, mate, Thea, man, you know, rabbits just staring headlights out of Thea. You know, they yeah, did yeah. a really good job of scaring everybody into, into doing what they wanted. They knew what they were doing, man. Yeah, 100%. I spoke to some crazy people, mate, who've said that there's been some crazy stuff that the government have got, you know, with the sage, with, with the sage, <laughs> with sage and the behavioral units that are in there and the nudge units. And man, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's, I'm sure it's crazy. I'm just, I, I spoke to Dr. Dave the other day. He said, oh, did you? Yeah, he, was, he said he was a good mate of yours. Yes, he, he is. I keep telling people I'm, he is. I'm, I don't make it up. He is, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you've got a ton of stories to to tell people, you know. That could mate, that a lot of stories. I've been trying to get him on it for two years, right? And like yeah. I say, since it's, it's, it's starting this podcast, um, and even before then, I was ringing him and saying, Dave, you got, you got to start speaking out, bro. you got to start. But he was yeah. scared, man, like, and, and rightly so, because unfortunately... Tell him, tell him I'll give treated. him my uh, balaclava, mate, and, and my sunglasses, you know? No one will be yeah. able to tell. The thing about Dave, it's hard to get a word in edgeways with Dave. <laughs> so I just have to say to everybody, this is Dave. Everybody knows him and just let him go off on one. But I'm just trying to get him to, to come to agree a time because he'll go, are you free tomorrow? And I'm like, it's tomorrow. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not free right now, Dave. I'd love to do a pod with you and uh, Dave, mate. That would be... Do, do you know what, mate? Right, I'm, I'm trying to... 
because I want I don't want always want it to be doom and gloom. I like bringing people in that are real people, though. You know what I mean? That yeah. have got like, real because I, I think that we we we're kind of done. I'm sick of listening to doctors, right? Because it's like we've listened to you for the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> I want to listen to people that actually saw what was going on, so we can yeah. actually kind of be a bit more like right where how far up the chain do we? Because I think everybody that was boots on the ground was doing the best of their ability. You know what I mean? Everybody was. It was a new new virus. People were dying. Whether people shouted the screen go COVID's not real people were dying so whether yeah. it whether it was you know radiation sickness or whatever it was or foggy whatever people mm. were dying you know mm. what I mean so when you're in AE you're just trying to stop people dying you don't care what's causing it I mean it's help, helpful to know because you can you know try and reverse it but you know it's it's just and people don't appreciate that you know you're just trying to go for your 12-hour shift without killing anybody mm. uh, and then going home at the end of it and then hopefully you know being able to sleep at night but mm. you know it's uh, people have no, but then it's the same with every industry and, and all that as well. But people, yeah, there's, people... there's corruption every, every single industry, man, right? Yeah, man. That, that, it is. It's, it's a sad reality of, of life. Um, but the positives are, and it's not all doom and gloom. No, you know, we, we can all unite and change all of this and go towards a decentralized me medical system. We're getting there, mate. We don't put our lives in the hands of the corrupt medics that are out there still that haven't spoken out, that are you know, motivated by money and, you know, being controlled by the GMC and, you know, being incentivized by the pharmaceutical industry as well. Yeah. We can move away from that because the knowledge, like you say, is out there. It just takes a bit of time to sit down and research and you can come across that knowledge. And why yeah. not try it out? You know, is it not worth it? Of course well, it is. When it's it is, exactly. Yeah. But the problem we've got, mate, is, is the, I think... I mean, I'm 43 next in April, so I don't know my generation. I see a lot of people my age, and I think... Bloody hell, I thought you were 24, fella. Here we go, mate. <laughs> it's, that, uh, it's all them foreskins I put on my face. Just good jeans, mate. Good Italian jeans, I think. I hydrate <laughs> a lot and I work out. So, no. But I think it's, you know, it's lifestyle changes, and that's the hardest thing. People just want, want a tablet, don't they? I want yeah. to tap it that makes all my pain go away. Well, it's the easy thing to do, right? It's the easy thing to do. I know, but they've done a really good job in. I think the youth are getting there. The youth are getting there, but they need to stop with all these energy drinks and stuff because it's like you don't yeah. need that. Sugar, sugar. No, you don't need that. Yeah, sugar. exactly. But I think if if enough people want change, then we can get the change. But I think what people are scared of is mm. they're scared of this kind of like uh, governmentless type of mad max world that they think would happen if we didn't have a government if that makes sense yeah. if you, you, know, you think the, you know you your bin men take your bin spins not the government you know yeah, the, the yeah. road men fix the roads not the government yeah. you know as long as you pay them still to do that stuff they'll still do it yeah, yeah. we have infrastructure for a reason but i don't know they've done a good job on there, the there's always going to be corruption that's the problem yeah it is you know it you is. can you can put you can put you can change people but at the end of the day they've got to be good people and have a good heart and not yeah. be motivated by money because that's the main thing that that leads to a lot of corruption in our world um so yeah listen like i think things can change but oh they will we'll, we'll, we'll see it's gonna it's gonna take a huge effort but it's it's definitely possible for sure um, i think we're, we're getting there we're getting close to kind of like you know the 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 precipice of they say you know the rubicon um, we, we're definitely getting towards it now because more and more people, I mean, look, it was one of those things. I think everybody, if everybody was fearful at the time, you know, and they took the jab and they did what they were told, they're going to be just as fearful now thinking that they've got a ticking time bomb in, in them or, or, or not. So mm. I, I get it. And I, and, and I don't mean to sound callous to these guys, 
Mm. I don't care about that. All right. You know what I mean? It's like we need to the quicker you guys get to the point of thinking, right, are we going to stop this? How can I fix myself? The quicker we can get there. But, you know, while we're all like, no, 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 it's fine. They save millions of lives and all this. And we just completely deny it. You know, yeah. it's like denying safety concerns on a car, isn't it? You know, how many smashes yeah. into walls do people need to have? Yeah. Before we think, well, maybe we need to recall it. But you've heard what's happened in Thailand, right? With the, with yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. They were hiding that. They were hiding that nicely, isn't it? They were indeed. Yeah. I mean, I, I the wife and I have been to Thailand many times. Beautiful country. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And so, so they would great have been. Great parties. Great parties. Oh, mate. Yeah. I mean, I went a few times before I met the wife as well. So <laughs> <laughs> the ones you remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. And none of them are boys before anyone's <laughs> well. All right, you know what I mean? I'll check the Adam's apple and the hands as well. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, they're, they're very pro the royal family and the princess as well. She was like a beacon of light. You know, she used oh, to do wow. so much good Samaritan work and just just great stuff. So the fact that, you know, she was put in the induced coma because of it, uh, they launched their they own said it was bacteria, right? Bacteria. Uh, in an infection yes yeah 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 yeah. well he's thai anyway so so he's a thai doctor so they obviously finally he said i think he said he, they're the first government in the world that has declared that it. Actually, yeah they've actually listened and he went over there guide you know and then they did an investigation and apparently they found now that there's that the, the pfizer did no safety studies which i wouldn't be surprised about because they only made it in three hours anyway didn't they so exactly yeah uh, so i wouldn't be surprised at that to be fair but it's all going to come i keep saying to people it's like a bottle of pop and they're, all they're trying to they're, they're trying we, we've shaken it up loads and the government <laughs> are trying to open it to get a drink and it's going yeah that's it and eventually they're going to sneeze and it's going to go and it's just going to be you know and that's when there's going to be a lot of angry people and there's going to be a lot of emotions just i hope like, so i hope so because my fear is that even if that happens People are so lost to the world that they're not going to wake up because I feel like not everyone is destined to realize the truth and to move forward and evolve. Yeah. I just yeah. think people are going to be lost. And I think, you know, do we have to waste our energy on these people? I personally no. don't think so because let's, let's focus on trying to make the world a better place instead of trying to wake up all these numpties that are never going to wake up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah, you, 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 I think it's just, it's part of the stages of this whole awakening thing that people who aren't, who haven't done it, laugh at it. I think it's it, it's uh, the best way to describe it would be like the five or seven stages of grief because that's mm. how you feel when you first start looking into, you know, and you go through this kind of, and then you plateau because you realise it's a marathon, not a sprint, and there's so much corruption in the world. It's like crikey, this is going to take a massive global effort, yeah. um, and you become really selfish with your energy and where you want to put it. So yeah, yeah I think it, it, I think a few years into this thing, I realized actually, do you know, what? I'll speak to people who want to ask questions, but yeah, you know, you would go up to someone in the street and go, what's your favorite color? And they were green <laughs> and you go, it's not green, it's blue. And I'm going to tell you why it's blue. And they're going to go, fuck off, mate. <laughs> so, so it's, it's almost that kind of thing. You're not going to change their mind, especially yeah. if they've taken it or they know people who've, who've had COVID and died and all that kind of stuff. So you're just like, look, that's fine. Like you do you, I don't know your life. You don't know mine. Yeah. But the difference is, is I don't care what you do. Uh, so therefore you shouldn't care what I do. Yeah. So, that, and that's, you know, that's where it, it stops. It's but, just oh. hard with the people that you care about, you know, your close ones, your loved ones, your friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's them because, you know, I do care about them. Mm. I do want them to, to understand what's going on, but you know, you can only try so much in three years until I you mean, got... Yeah. I have to actively not talk about certain things. 
Yeah. Um, me and my sister get on great, but sometimes we can't talk about stuff like this because she gets really angry with me and stuff like Fair that. Enough. I can't talk yeah. to my dad. Um, I talk to my mum and she sympathises with me. Then as soon as I've gone, she, she'll go back to normal. You know what I mean? But yeah. and, and so I just don't bother now because I'm like, look, it's fine because I don't want to be coming in all the time and causing problems. And Yeah, of course. Cool. I just, you know, so you have to respect that, you know, it's just not people just don't want to talk about it all the time. But it's so difficult because you're just like, you know, please just just start taking some vitamin D, just, just maybe just, just start with that, you know, just vitamin D, maybe a tiny little bit of vitamin C, maybe a little <laughs> magnesium and then you'll be fine. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's like, just try that. See how you feel. I bet you're not tired. You know what I mean? But you know, you can't, they've done a really good job at name putting it on our gravestones and stuff, but hopefully like we, our job size to make sure the little scrotes that are growing up now drinking this prime stuff. You yeah. Know, we got, you know, we got to help these, help, we've these got to help them and go, listen, listen listen they're waking up i'll tell you that they're waking up because i play football every sunday and there's a young fella there he's a good footballer he's a good baller and i could tell he's intelligent because number one at 18 he's man marking me right (laughs) out of the game and i find it tough when someone's man marking you so i've got to use my head to try and get away and create space and he's 18 i never did that shit at 18 years old (laughs) he's a smart fella and guess yeah. what? He is fully, fully awake because I had a chat with him and he's super, super well conscious. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's great to see that because there's little fellas that are waking up super early and I wish yeah. I was awake at that age. I know, but then it's like, because I mean, I've got a five and a half year old and it's that kind of like, you know, shattering, shattering the innocence type thing. I mean, I don't yeah. discuss any of this stuff with my kid, obviously, you know what I mean? We just didn't talk about it full stop. Yeah. But then we never yeah. wore masks in the house or when we went out. So for him, hopefully, he won't remember anything, and and, and it won't, you know. But but when you think, I think about... they'll start, they'll start to ask questions because they'll come, they'll become inquisitive. Yeah, I think you know, school. Our job as a parent is like, you know, our kids come home and our kids are like plasticine, and and the schools molded them into this shape. When they come home, it's our job as parents is just to mold them back into the to the actual shape we want them to be. And then they'll go to school the next day, and then school will do that again. And then you come back and you yeah. go, So you've got to kind of like, you know, they do learn some good stuff at school, but then you need to go, Yeah, I know, but you need to think about this or, Yeah, yeah, you know, this as well. And, and that, my, a friend of mine at work, he's, his daughter's um, coming home now saying, You know, she's, she's quite pro the whole, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but um, she's quite pro the whole trans movement and everything. At the yeah, moment. I was just about to say that to you, mate. I yeah, was yeah, yeah. What and do it's... you think about the whole LGBTQ I mean, look, thing? I've I've said this before to people, and I and I've got plenty of gay friends and 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 things like that, and I hate the fact I have to preface this with that anyway. To be honest mm. with you, because that just goes to show where we're at. But um, the the majority of the of the um, the gay community, you know, rightly so at the beginning, they just wanted equal rights. You know, same sex marriages, be able to adopt and have the same rights as everybody else. And I totally yeah. agree with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they should have, and they sh- and yeah. I'm glad they have. Of course, trans people, mm. um, you know, they 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 kind of like want more if you know what I mean. And I'm, I'm a bit like, well, no, why can't you have the same, same stuff as, as, as the, you know, the gay uh, community, which is the same sex marriages and the ability to adopt children. Yeah. Why do you need to have all of us do this for you specifically? Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, well, no one else gets that. We've, you know, I pretty, you know, so it's, I'm it's just a bit of a like, diva complex. Yeah. And it's like, we're, we're facilitating this thing it's like look, i don't care what you identify as right if you want to identify as a toilet that's fine but do not expect me to sit there and look at you and pretend you're a toilet okay i can't do that i'm sorry mate you know if a black man came up to me and goes right i'm white <laughs> i identify as a white person and if you don't call me white you're yeah. a racist it's like 
your brain, I mean, if my kid is confused as to what you call you and he's five, then then where are we at? You know what I mean? And so I don't want to go down the whole biology and gender route because, you know, it's yeah. it's sticky. But, you know, it's I just think if if we get into that same point now where no matter what you identify as, we've all got the same rights as each other, pretty mm. much. So then we should all be fine and happy. But there just seems to be this one tiny group, bit of a mm. stone in your shoe, you know, that's like, well, we're not quite happy enough. And you're like, yeah, really? Yeah. Well, my, my biggest issue is putting it forcing it on kids which is oh mate don't even get started on that yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean that's a different that's a i didn't want to go down a rabbit hole too much because i don't want everyone to think i'm a you know homophobe because i'm not at all yeah yeah, yeah. but there that you know if if it's worse in america thankfully you know with their critical race theory and all the other stuff of they you know they've got the drag queens coming into schools and reading to them um and all the horrendous videos you've seen of that i, I think in england we're a bit too uh we're a bit too prudish for that i think mm. i don't think it will fly They'll try. The, the but... amount of kids, I, I've got a mate that's a deputy head teacher at a school. Oh, right. And, and the amount of kids that are coming up to us saying they're not sure if they're a boy or a girl. And yeah, 30 years ago, yeah, this never yeah. used to happen. I, I certainly never heard of it at my school. Not transgender, I no. I mean, you used to know the drag queens, didn't you? Because they'd be all, they'd be at the, yeah. they'd, they'd have a little showcase at the pub. But, but little kids coming up to teachers and being like, "I don't know if I'm a male or a female." Yeah, yeah. you've got to question why that's happening, um, and because of all the exposure of what's going on in media and stuff, and now they're going to put it in schools as well, as if yeah. that's not enough. It's going to become even more severe. We can see that happening for sure. So, um, yeah, I messed up, messed up tissue. Yeah, well, I know, and this is the th but the thing is, though, right? And this is this is uh, this is where it gets a bit difficult because who's at fault? Is it the kids or the parents? Is it the schools and all this kind of stuff? But then I've always been of the, of the mindset of if as if your kid has been is 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 confident, loved, and supported, and all that, then there's no room for those th thoughts to yeah. go into because I think you're born gay. I really do think you're born gay, right? And mm -hmm. you just it takes a while for you to get to the point where you actually realise that you're gay. Mm. Um, I don't think you just turn gay. You know what I mean? Just, you know, personally, I mean, I'm not gay. So, you know, but most people... You, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. On, I wouldn't know. But every, yeah. I always ask everybody that I speak to that's good friends, but like, when did you first realize you were gay? And they're all usually less than double digits. Eight, nine, ten, you know, okay, so well. it's like... That's young, man. But that's super young, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but then you know, but that's they're gay. You know what I mean? That's it's you know. So whereas there the, the, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that transgender people are actually gay they just don't know it yet but they're just uh, you know um but you know a lot of them will scream in the community and all that kind of stuff as well but there's also a lot of evidence as well that suggests that five years after usually they have any kind of surgery they um they 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 you know regret it or suicide rates go up and you know they, they you know and all, so, you know there's but anyway it's, it's not about about that i just for me i'm just like look you've got what you want all right. Yeah. You, you, why do you need special toilets? Why do you need, you know, if, it, and, and I want to say to parents, like, if you were a man, right. And I know every man out there, like, you know, if you were a man and you were waiting for your, you know, your 15, 13 year old daughter to come out of swimming, right. And she walks out of the, the female changing rooms after, you know, this thing that walks out, I shouldn't say things. Sorry, everyone's going to be like, oh, my God. This, yeah. uh, you're going to have trannies outside your house tonight. Yeah, I am going to be in my pitchforks, isn't they? But you're going to have this <laughs> person coming out because I know there are some. I mean, I said this to my friend today, right? All right. I used to work in the circus, okay? And we went to this club in London called, oh, you know, you know, Fire in London. Yeah, yeah. In, in the Arches in Vauxhall. Yep. 
Yeah, right. Okay. So gay club, brilliant club, brilliant. You know what I mean? It's we used to go there and do all the, the, the circus performing and all that. Anyway, when we were in the changing rooms upstairs getting trained, one of the guys mm. that was there who was like this uh like lady man thing walking around with like wings and stuff and like uh lady like gra uh, type character yeah okay <clears throat> i was a four-legged gimp on stilts with like a mask and a big dildo and led lights and anyway so I, uh, and i had this girl like walking me on a chain so um but while we were in between our sets this th these people came upstairs right yeah. now i turned and looked and it was from the floor up so high-heeled shoes yeah normal sort of like skin tight shimmery leggings I look up for more sequin top, yeah, and I was like, okay, face, earrings, lovely hair, makeup, mustache. So there was no effort made to to disguise the fact that she he was a woman, uh, a man, yeah. yeah, but she was wearing everything that was a female, and I just remember going, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know, I mean. You know, you can tell the difference between those that are trying to look like a woman and don't do it very yeah, well. Yeah, so you'd be like, yeah. oh, you know. But this one, I was like, well, you've come to a club, you've got all the makeup on, and the, but you've got this. I could never grow a mustache as good as that. So I was just like, I was so confused, mm. and I remember just being like, what, 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 what am I doing here? What are you? What, are, what <laughs> are you? But you know, and I was, I was at the time, it was years ago, so I didn't say anything. I just remember thinking. There's all these people walking around dressed as women that look like blokes, and I don't yeah. know, like, you know, what 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 to call them, you know. Yeah. But they weren't getting mad at me though. That's the difference. They weren't getting yeah. mad at me. They were peaceful folk. But I think you know, it's it's you got a certain a small element of the community that go out and embrace themselves. They do what they want to wear. They wear what they want to do. I, I, that's the thing. The majority of people don't care. But when you've got um, you know, you've got a, it's the it's the this is what I want to say. So when if you were if gay folk all of a sudden started asking for gay toilets, I mean, what mm. would we say? We'd be like, why do you need gay toilets? Yeah, exactly. But yeah. unless unless I walk into the toilet going, I'm gay, you know, you're not going to know they're gay anyway. That's the thing. But yeah. if you've got a transgender person, if they're mm. a man pretending to be a woman, most of the time they're going to have a dick between their legs when they're in the <laughs> yeah. bedroom rooms. Or obviously they'll have surgery, which is slightly yeah. different. Now, they're usually the hardcore. But you know, the line gets blurred then before you just get some sex pest who just identifies as a as a woman now and thinks that they can just go wandering around changing rooms. And and I've seen some videos in the States of of big black mamas getting angry with these transgender <laughs> men walking around the ledger centers. Like, I don't care what he is. That's a dick. You know what I mean? And, and, and you're like, right, well, it is. So we've just gone, we've just gone so crazy far down the rabbit hole, try not to offend everybody yeah. of this small minority group that we've ended up just sacrificing I don't know, ma'am. I, I think it's just cool. It's problems. just been created to cause division and yeah, yeah, distraction. Definitely. Distraction from the real stuff that the real important stuff that's going on behind the scenes. You know. Yeah, and I, and I, I do, I do think, and I think as as I've said to the wife as a parent, you know, your job is your job is not just to your job is to be vigilant as a parent as well because all this stuff that's happening now is not is not for us. It's for them. Right. Well, they don't write. People don't realize if we have a race, a uh, generation of people growing up who are sexually confused or asexual, pansexual, they're not going to mm. have any aggression. They're not mm. going to be uh, they're going to be more susceptible to, to manipulation and malleable. They're not going to stick up for themselves because they don't even they don't even know what sex they want to be. So how are they going to be able to say, no, you're offending me, you're oppressing me. So so they're not malleable. <clears throat> yes, exactly. So they're taking away our our backbone, if you will, so that we'll have they'll have a lovely compliant mm. population that will do as they're told. And, and not fight back. Most of them will be asexual or pansexual, mm. so they won't be having as many kids. So yeah. that will go towards... Population go down. 
Yeah, exactly. So they won't need to make a sterile, which the vaccine potentially has anyway. But the ones that hasn't, they'll mm. be they'll be so sexually confused, or they won't want to have kids because they've seen how hard it's been for us trying to, you know, just buy a house. Yep, yep. You know, I don't know many. I don't know any eighteen-year-old kids at the minute that are like really excited about having kids. Yeah. I mean, why would you? I mean, I I was nearly forty when I had mine, <laughs> so I left it to like lastminute.com. Yeah. Um, and the wife was literally like, "Come on." You know, and I was like, right. It's hard work, mate. It's hard work and it's a big thing. It is. It's hard you know, work. People don't understand that until they have one. Your mm. life changes, you know. You can't yeah, do it does. the stuff they used to do. So I was scared. Massive, I wasn't... massive respects to, to, all the, to all the parents out there for what they're doing. Oh, you know, mate. It's not, it's I mean, not easy. Yeah. It's not easy, but trust me, some of them, you're like, well, you could try harder. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you agreed to this. It's not just for Christmas. You know, these, <laughs> these little shits are here forever, you know. Yeah. That's why I delayed it because I just thought I, was, I wasn't selfless enough. That's my yeah. plan as well, fella. We're on the same page. But you know what, though? The good thing that the good thing that you can pass on to the kids, you know, the, having a younger child is foresight. Mm. And, and, and you know, and, and when, they, when they ask you questions, because you're a little bit older and they say, blah, 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 you, you don't just go, just because it is. Mm. You know, when they're just going, why, why, why? You can answer it. You know, granted, sometimes you get yourself down a really big rabbit hole trying to answer these questions, but feed the imagination, feed the curiosity. You know, yeah. my kid's yeah. smart because the wife and I will always try and answer his questions to the best of our ability without yeah. just being like, it just is, you yeah. know, <clears throat> you've got to feed them, man. But we're responsible for the future. We can't blame the government for what happens to our kids. 100%, 100%. That, know, that, that, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the whole streetwear thing, because it's a way to get through to them. Yeah, man. Bring, bring them back and wake them up. So tell me about that, man. Tell me about the streetwear. So always been into fashion. Um and my background at uni, I did a lot of street dances as well. So I danced at a whole load of street shows, street dance shows across different unis in London. And so, um, you know, I, I came across um, <clears throat> a couple of streetwear brands as I got a bit older. Um, you probably heard of them, Supreme, which is a massive New York one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got our own version in the UK called Palace. And um, they both push out and rep street uh, skateboarding, which is one aspect of street culture. Street culture incorporates, um, for example, hip hop, graffiti, uh, grime, drill, dance, which is a massive one, and skateboarding. And Supreme and Palace always want to just push skateboarding. So whilst I I was at um, in the NHS, I always wanted to set up a business um, after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I recommend any person out there to read because it's life-changing and it will inspire you to start up a business there's no doubt about it if if you sit down and read that book there's no chance you'll walk away from that wanting to live the nine to five life it's going to inspire you 100 percent. and so i thought you know what is it i can do and i love street I, I love fashion i love street dance i felt there was no brand out there to really push street dance mm. and so i set it up essentially to to push street dance and UK music. And that's a superficial thing that I want the mainstream media to kind of look at and mm. talk about. But at the same time, I wanted to put a brand out there to represent God and goodness. Because as you know, we live in an evil world. We live in a twisted world. Uh, we live in a world where fashion is dominated by, you know, a very recent example is the whole Balenciaga thing. Very <sighs> yeah, satanic. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can see, you know, all these celebrities come out and start dressing the way they do. And so I wanted to put something out there for God. Um, and hence <clears throat> came up, sat down, thought about the name 
and the name is Trillionaire Gent Squad. Um, the reason behind it is Trillionaire. Um, I feel that the age of billionaires and millionaires is over. Mm. So we're going to start to, to, to see trillionaires emerge. Gents, because I'm from England, born and raised, and this is the land of the gentleman. So gents came from that. And then squad, I really liked uh, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and his film Kill Bill. And his group of assassins were called um, Deadly yeah. Viper Assassination Squad. Yeah. And we used, to, we used to roll around playing Call of Duty right. when we were younger. And our clan tag was DVAS, Deadly Viper. Oh, okay. So I took squad from that and I put it together. And then I thought, how can how can this be kind of deeper in a sense? And I kind of made it a triangle. So it's an inverted triangle. Mm-hmm. And that essentially symbolizes the flipping of yeah. know, the society being a pyramid, us at the yeah. bottom, yeah. the at the top. And hence, we're at the top now. Okay, um, nice. Yeah, so there's there's symbolism and a, a bit of deepness behind it. Um, so every time someone wears it, I want I want evil to be mocked, and, and that's what's going to be happen happening. But wow. either because people know about it, or mm. they don't know about it, which is what yeah. they do to us, right? They do they do that to us. They do all the time. You know, the Grammys, for example. You know. Mate, honestly, there's so much stuff we could talk about. We've blown so. I mean, everyone's going to hate me now because they think I'm going to be a, a anti-trans person as well. But um, but that's it's all love. Listen, we got love for everyone, so it's all oh, good. no, that that's that's the thing. You know, the, the issue is the kids. The issue is the kids and forcing that agenda on yes, that's it. Children, mm. that that's the issue. Should yeah. they be learning about this? It's fine. You know, if you have that inner feeling and you want to be that when you grow up, that's fine. You know, yeah, but teaching them that that's what i disagree with and i i think that's what you essentially have a problem with as well matt so yeah i, I do i just sometimes i'm just a little bit too honest you know what i mean I'm trying to save um, you from all the trannies mate here yeah. <laughs> it's too late for that bro it's too late for that uh well listen i expect some sort of um i'm happy to model i keep saying this to everybody no one takes me up on it do you know what i mean i'm happy to model you listen give me model a shout you. when you're in london we'll yeah. we'll hook up and we'll do this photo shoot and you never know, mate. You could be the next Tom Hardy, you know, James Bond. <laughs> yeah, don't think so, mate. Don't think so. Yeah, I've got a good uh, start. Uh, you, might, you might think I'm taking a piss, but I'm looking at you right now. You actually look a bit like Tom Hardy. Oh, my. Uh, I've been told Tom Hardy, Joey from Friends, Christian Slater, and um, Jamie Lannister. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Tom Hardy, fella. Yeah, okay, I'll take that. I'll bag that. I'll bag that. But you never um, know. You could be playing James Bond, you know? Well, you know, I just need to be in London because, you know, Guy Ritchie never comes up to Cumbria, does he? That's the problem. Be... <laughs> no, come on, Guy. Sort it out, mate. Right. Any final words, Cy, before we bounce? Uh, no, listen, God bless everyone. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your time as well, Matt. Um, and hopefully we get to do this again and catch some jokes and talk about some serious stuff at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Not too serious, though. Not too. <laughs> we don't want to get killed here. Yeah, well, you know, you know what I mean? I need to see how this one goes first, see if I'm still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, uh, stick around, mate, all right? I want to say goodbye to everybody. Thanks for all your support, and I'll see you guys on the flip side. All right, strength and courage, peace and love. No worries, mate. God bless. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care.